Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another Recruitment Flex. And Shelly, we yes. have so many great guests that come on our show. And obviously, right. we never want to be that parent that we have a favorite child. But we do have... <laughs> One favorite guest, and this is the episode. Serge, there's you'll get no argument from me because our audience speaks, right? We can see it in their clicks and in their interest. So I am absolutely thrilled to welcome back to the show the lovely, the talented Mr. James Ellis, author of the best book I could ever have read on employer brand talent chooses you. How's that for an intro, James? And great seeing you. I'll talk to you later. Got to go okay. by. You've been a lovely audience. Thanks so much for listening. Tip your waitress. Try the veal. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, James. I'm oh, so thanks. thrilled that you agreed to talk. Of course. Thanks again. so much for Thank having you. me. So that's like a third time. Do I get like a jacket when I hit three or is that five? I mean, that's I five. Kind of, yeah. Okay. You get the watch at five. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you know what, James? And I do not exaggerate when I say your book has become the beacon of recruitment marketing, employer branding. I share it with my clients. But here's something that I think is missing. A lot oh. of our audience doesn't know much about you, James. Okay. So, yes, that's So true. give us an update. What is happening in your life? Share with the audience something personal, but not too personal. Okay. <laughs> I'll walk that line real hard. I, like most of you, have gained the 15 pounds from COVID from not going outside. All my photos are like, I just have to point out, that's a pre-COVID body. That's not reality (laughs) anymore. I don't know what that is. I'm in Chicago. I live with my wife and daughter in, it's called Lakeview, which is a a neighborhood of Chicago. So it's not downtown, but it's Chicago proper. And for people who are Chicago people, they understand that it's not the suburbs. It is Chicago. And my daughter is in first grade and uh, she's currently cutting out Valentine's for a project for first grade type things. So yeah, that's, I don't know. I'm I'm an exceedingly boring person. Everybody asks, what do you do for fun? I'm going, I think about employer branding. I write about employer branding. I talk about employer branding. There's another way to communicate about employer branding. I'd have done that. I probably not dance, probably not interpretive dance. That's probably not, maybe that's a whole other option. I haven't thought of it. Wow. Okay. Hold on. This is opening up doors. I have never considered before. You're leaving something on the table there. Yeah. Okay. Well, say, cause I, I do believe a lot of our audience is curious about you. They want to I can't to imagine. So thank I can't you for imagine. sharing that. Nah. Yes, it's true. It's true. And you've had some very exciting stuff that's come out. So your podcast, The Talent Cast, is probably one of the first podcasts that I did listen in this industry. You have your book, Talent Chooses You, which I think is a concept that I've never heard of, that you are reading your book on the podcast. So how's yeah. that going? Yeah. First off, I having a podcast called The Talent Cast and the book called The Talent Chooses You. I just need to find more ways to insert the word talent to confuse myself. It's very confusing <laughs> to me. Yeah. So the, I wrote the book and I guess the thing that is unique about how I write things is that I think about it as speech first. I think yeah. about everything as I was trained as a speaker, not as a writer. I'm actually a pretty mediocre writer, all things considered, but I'm a pretty good speaker. And if you read it and you listen to it, you're like, oh yeah, this is clearly someone speaking this thing. Uh, that's just how I do it. And it's funny is that people are like, 
when I read your book, I hear your podcast voice yeah. in my head. It's the same thing. I'm like, well, yeah. actually, that's kind of you to say, because that's effectively what it is. It's just me typing as I'm thinking in my head. And someone said, this should be an audio book. I'm like, I got things to do. That sounds like a lot of work. Like, come on. And then honestly, the book is now three, the, the rough draft is three years old. I feel like I've killed that thing. I've dug the grave. I've, dug, I've buried it. It's, it's good. We all got it. Right. And if people want to say, okay, how do you push that forward? So it was an opportunity to say, how do I make the audiobook free? Because to me, that's the thing. I'm not here to make any money on this thing. I'm not wealthy by any stretch, but I have a day job and it's perfectly great and it's wonderful and all that stuff. So if I'm giving back to the audience, it's about how do I give this stuff away so that people can just take it. They go, oh, I've been curious about this. I wanted to know about this. It's in a package that makes sense and I get to walk with it. And that's why I give the book uh, you know, away for free on employerbrandbook.com. And the, the, if you buy it on Amazon, I get no money. It's all printing costs. How do I get this in as many people's hands as possible? And audiobook made sense. So to me, if I could merge the two things of the podcast and the audiobooks, why would I separate them? They're the same thing. I don't know if it's the first time, but it's the first time I've heard of it. Maybe yeah. I'm breaking a little ground. Who knows? Who's to say? Who, who cares? It's not like I'm getting a word for breaking ground here. Talking about breaking ground, one of the things that we're definitely not breaking ground is how many newsletters are out there right now. But you have a very special one. So tell the audience a little bit about your newsletter, how they can subscribe, and what's the whole purpose behind it? Well, like all things, I just do what Hung Lee does. That's really my deal. He has a podcast. I make a podcast. He makes a newsletter. I make a newsletter. It's very simple. It's a good recipe for success. Do what Hung does. And his newsletter is really, really good. If you're listening to this podcast and you do not subscribe to this newsletter, I do not know what you're doing. I don't know what you're waiting for. It makes True. zero sense. And what I love about him is the breadth of the newsletter is so unconstrained to recruiting or unconstrained to TA. Yeah. And I think there's so much stuff. TA doesn't live in a bubble. It's so impacted by bigger ideas, the nature of what work is and AI and technology and the work culture and what's the zeitgeist of working and all that stuff impacts these things. And he's just said, you know what, let's put it all in one spot. And I took that idea and said, why wouldn't we do it about just employer brand? It's not going to be as big as Hung's. That's great, but it's about this idea. And Hung, employer brand's cool because it very clearly connects to all those things. It connects to marketing and branding. It connects to internal comms. It connects to social media. It connects to video and content and all the other content marketing aspects. And most of the people who do it, most of them don't come from a marketing background. So yeah. do they know what the four P's are? Maybe not. And while any marketer who's gone to college says, yeah, we learned that like the, literally the first month, okay. we employer branders don't necessarily have that. So I'm trying to pull in classic marketing stuff, new thinking around marketing and branding, but also technology and content marketing, because there's no way to do an employer brand the right way. There's just the way you do it. And yeah. if you show up with a video background and you do all your employer branding with video, that's correct. Do that. And if you come in with a, well, I'm a copywriter and I'm a journalist. Great. Do that. That's the thing. But you have to know there's a bigger kind of ecosystem that you can pull from. So that's really what I try to do is say, here's something I'm thinking about or wrestling with whatever. It's maybe two, 300 words. Hopefully it's not too onerous for people to read or they can skip it. I don't care. And then here's 10, 12 links of stuff happening in the real world. Some of it's mm -hmm. better ways to write an email subject line. Some of it's, here's the Harvard Business Review's article about culture that your boss is reading right now if you don't know about it. And every week I just shoot it out. Like all good content around what we do, it's not like an instant success. I've been doing it for yeah. over two years now. I'm about to write edition 130 and wow. I've got 1,700 followers, subscribers, whatever you want to call them. That's what I expected it to be eventually. It's a very particular audience who goes, how do I take 
take this employer brand idea and take it bigger and know how to pull in stuff from the outside world. Because employer branders talking about employer branding to other employer branders is boring. Who cares what your particular Glassdoor strategy is? Who wants to complain about that job board or that job channel? Blah, 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 right? We could talk about that stuff. Bring in stuff from the outside. That's where the really interesting stuff is to me anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I think back to last January, it seemed like that's all we heard from companies, employer brand. That's what 2021 was going to be all about. Looking back in your travels, because you got your eye across the globe here, any companies that you feel really deserve top billing on moving the needle on employer brand or who's still shitting the bat on this? I'd love to hear your thoughts on is anybody listening? Yeah, yeah. I, I will Who's not moving the needle out there. Yeah, I will not name names of who I think is doing a horrible job because it's unfair. Because to be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. if you don't have the right structures around you, the best employer branders are not gonna if you put a seed in a bottle of water and it's supposed to be in dirt, I don't care how good that seed is. It ain't going nowhere. It's not going to do anything. Employer brand is not so much about the person pushing or owning. It's about the ecosystem they can build, the support systems internally, culturally, politically, uh, to make that thing sprout. So I I will not name and shame anybody. Uh, That said, the first half of that last year was very much about Harvard Business Review and and strategy and business, and everybody talking about it. Not every TA uh, director or VP got that article handed to them by their boss and saying, have you read this? And you're like, oh, I guess we got to take this seriously. And then there's four to six months of just, huh, how would that work? What is that thing? And of course, you know, I'm still boggled by, we all have very different senses of what we mean by employer brand. It's all, you know, individual interpretations and just definitions. So if, if a random TA VP says, I'm going to implement some employer branding, I have no idea what they think they mean. No clue whatsoever. It could mean any number of things on a huge wide spectrum. And so they're trying to just figure it out. So it's slow building. It takes time. So I, I was lucky enough I guess lucky is the right word. I went and looked for a new job last fall. Mm-hmm. And there is no better way to put the rubber to the road and say, what's really going on? What am I really seeing? For all our blah, blah, blah talk about, we don't ghost people or we love to communicate and candidates are number one and all this stuff. Truth is, it might as well be 2004 for the most part. For most companies, they haven't done a dang thing that's different, right? Maybe they implemented a tool that automates an email that says nothing to me to say, we have your resume. And by the way, we have no interest in following up with you ever unless you're amazing, in which case, case, maybe we'll follow up with you. It's just so driven by 1980, 2020, or 2001 kind of thinking around what recruiting is, where they have all the power. They're the the ones with the carrot because they have the job and they can dangle it and say, you will dance for me, monkey boy, monkey girl, do what I say. And we're expected to do that. Now, I, I, again, I don't know if it's lucky or not, but I guess I'm going to call it lucky because what the heck, I got a chance to talk to massive companies. And I get a chance to talk to teeny companies and the gamut. First off, the thing that blows my mind are the number of smaller startups. We're talking three, four, 500 people. Yeah. Who are looking for an employer brand person. I always thought, I was assumed the threshold for requiring employer brand was like about a thousand. And these startups were realizing how important it was to find talent. And what I think is interesting about startups If you remember America, Canada, China, Russia, 1980s, we were all building up and 
the Asian tigers, as it were, leapfrogged us all because they got crushed and they didn't have to build on top of old industrial thinking and old industrial process. They had a clean slate. And that's a euphemism for something I don't want to talk about today. But anyway, they got their whole world crushed. They said, I'm going to build. And so they started with 80s technology and build. You can see that in their cellular technology and their internet technology. They didn't have to get rid of old copper wire phones. They started with coax. They started with stuff. And so they got to leapfrog. They didn't have to unlearn all this crud to come up with better thinking. Startups are the same way. Mm -hmm. If you start a company now, would you have an email service? Or maybe you just go straight to Slack or straight to Teams. Why bother email? Email is such a 1990s way of thinking and doing business. If you had to start today, would you have an accounts receivable department or would you just farm that out to one of a thousand companies that does that for you? There's a whole different way of thinking about it. And so I think what happens because they get to think about it from a clean sheet of paper, they're not unlearning all this old stuff. They're going, yeah, employer brand really should be part and parcel of Once we're kind of in a growth mode or once we're in a profitable mode, it's something that matters to us and because it's going to help feed the growth. And so watching the smaller companies invest in employer brand in ways that big companies, I'm still watching going, (laughs) nope, you don't quite get that. That said, I am going to name somebody super positive, which is funny because it's a separate story. I think IBM, old school IBM, white Button-down T-shirts with the yeah, you know, yeah. simple tie. Yeah. IBM, the most boring company in the known universe, are killing it. They're killing really? it. They've invested in it. They've got incredibly good people in it. They've got a newsletter that doesn't sound like it was written by an internal comms intern. It works. They're doing a great job. Now, they've made huge investments. They have like dozens of people in their employer brand teams globally. And I know many of them, and they're fantastic at it. They're killing it. And they're the ones to me, I'm going, Wow. Now, I remember when IBM flipped the switch in the 90s and went from big steel to, okay, let's go into services and PCs and, you know, Lewis Gerstner making the elephants dance was the book or whatever it was. They did a big switch. They did it again, which just kudos to them for doing that because that's not something I would was ever going to expect. Otherwise, yeah, companies that have decided to invest in it, they're investing it and they're figuring it out. And I, I they may not do it the way I would want to do it. And that's great because what do I know? I'm just one guy. They're going to find new ways to do it. And I love that. Thank well, you let's, for that. Yeah, thank you. One of the things that I want to dig in deeper there is there's a lot of bigger companies that are being forced now to come to the table and up their game because the volume yeah. of candidates have dropped dramatically. So they have to figure out a way how to differentiate themselves. Where should they start? So if you're looking for a very particular piece of furniture or a shoe, or a shirt. It doesn't matter. Or a backpack. That's a good one. A backpack's good because there's a million people making backpacks. And if you're a nerd about bags, there's all sorts of places you can go. And if you know what you want, you go to the retailer, not to the retailer, to the manufacturer. You go to that person and maybe it's Timbuktu and maybe it's e-bags or whatever. There's so many people making great bags. You go to them and say, I know what I want. When you don't know what you want, you go to the mall and you get the same bag everybody else gets. And that's the trouble I have is that most business have absolutely zero clue whatsoever about what the heck they want in their person they're hiring. And I don't care if it's an intern or senior vice president of whatever, they actually don't know what they want. And so what they're doing and what they've always done is saying, well, since I have the job, since I have the pork chop dangling from my neck, and these are all hungry little wolves wanting to eat it, I'm just going to cast the net wide and hope that people show up and I'll figure it out based on who shows up. That doesn't happen anymore. No one's showing up. 
But if you write a job posting based on the idea that you actually know what you want, and I don't mean just the skill, the motivation of that person, the things that drive that person, the things they care about, how they like to work, the industries they know and care about, whatever that is, the values, go nuts, go super deep. When you know who you're looking for, you don't say, hey, everybody, I'm hiring as loud as you possibly can on everybody's favorite social network that will remain <laughs> nameless <clears throat> if you want to get linked into something. Anyway, hey, <laughs> that shouting from the rooftops doesn't do it. What you say is, I want you. And not because you are one person in a spam list I bought from some third party person, but people with pulses. It's because I know you and I've researched about you. And I have something very interesting to say about you and me, and let's have a conversation. And that difference is what companies need to embrace. And that means it's not a recruiters to go build those relationships, go build rapport, which is where we've put it off for a little bit. We've yeah. seen this transition. We've dumped it on recruiters. Hey, go make a bunch of relationships happen. And then you add the, the dreaded words at scale. And you're like, there's no such thing. That's impossible. You can't do that. You can't make relationships at scale. Come on. That's not how that works. That's called spamming. That's just by another name. Um, but now what you have to do is go up the chain a bit to say, hiring managers, what the hell are you looking for? You can't say you want a director, associate director, senior director, and stuff a job post full of mumbo jumbo and say, somebody will apply because we keyword stuffed. Yeah. Okay, great. That's going to work. So once you embrace that, the rest of it trickles down, right? You don't need a hundred people to apply. You shouldn't want a hundred people apply. hundred people applying has always been a, a symbol of failure, but we've always pretended it's a symbol yeah. of pride. Yay. We, oh, people love to work for us. They want to work for us. No, they don't. You just have a door and they walked through it. They were cold. You had some food inside. What, what, what? Give me a break. Now it's about, I want five people to apply, knowing full well that two have no chance and are not at all qualified, but two or three might be in the room. It might be in the realm. And even you've built systems that say, chances are those three are not the ones, but I bet they know the one. And I'm going to build a little relationship with this person and say, how can I leverage you to find the person I'm looking for, the person who can do this job. And that is a radical shift from talent acquisition and frankly, the entire business way of thinking. Thank you, James. That is probably one of the best chapters in your book as well is when you talk about recruitment is a game of quality. So if you just can get rid of this, somehow it's a popularity contest. Like yeah. I love that chapter, right? You know, now that the pipeline is dried up, the fact is we are going to see a, a year in talent acquisition that nobody's ever seen before. Great. And so if you figure out in the next 30 to 60 days, how to put a little bit of heart and fucking soul into your job ad, yep. and all you need is unless you're trying to fill a thousand people to do all the same thing, different strategy. Okay. But I think by and large, that is the message. Like there's gasps around the room. Oh, nobody ever put it that way before. You know, building a pipeline of candidates to what end? We need to bring people in to fill the roles today. And we only need one or two of them. So building this pipeline to do what? To stagnate? Like what happens with those pipelines? Like I get it. 
but oh, who's managing level, it? On some level, you got to understand that I think most of talent acquisition is actually in the email rejection game. Like they're paid yeah. by the number of email re- form email rejections designed to make you feel as warm as a piece of tinfoil. That's what they're in the game of. Because if you were an alien coming out from space going, I'm looking at recruiting, you'd say the game is to make as many rejection letters as possible. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's not the game. So I think we've taken a wrong turn. And honestly, when I say quality, not quantity, and if there's gasps, it's because because we already know this. We just don't see it through those lenses, right? We're told by people who look and sound a lot like me, marketing is important, branding is important. And we've kind of inherited all of the baggage that comes from consumer marketing. I want more eyeballs, more views, more leads, more shelf space, more share of wallet, more share of mine, more, 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 more clicks, more impressions, more views, more engagement, more, more. It's a more party. I want more. And the answer is no, you don't. You just got the one job. What you want is the one person to fill it. And anything that isn't that one person is literally wasted energy, noise. And honestly, the more you drag that net to the bottom of the ocean, collect stuff, the more you're going to miss the piece of gold that you accidentally did collect. And that's the problem is you've now put all this work on recruiters to say, I've bought you a list of mostly people who we would never in a million years hire, but one of them is great. You have one hour, find them. It's like a game show. It's like a bad game show. It doesn't make any sense. And yet somehow we're supposed to to find these people. And then you add on top of it, what do you do with the 99 people you didn't hire? I'm hoping we piss them off. That apparently, again, is the strategy, which makes zero sense at all. So to me, If you are hiring a thousand people and there's one or two companies I can think of who are doing it and they're answering that question by buying lots of robots, which should tell you a lot about something. Yes, the pipeline's drying up, but it's not like we all won the lottery and don't feel like working. The pipeline dried up because the things that you use to drive value to that pipeline don't work anymore. People still want to work. They still want a job that feels satisfying. They yeah. still want to get not micromanaged or yelled at by their boss every single day. They still want to feel, uh, you know, and I've said this before, is that no one wakes up in the morning going, I can't wait to feel disengaged at work. I can't wait to just half-ass it for my boss who hates me. I can't wait to piss everybody off I'm around. I can't wait. That sounds like great. Turn off the alarm. Let's get to go. I'm going to take a shower and get going. No. They never feel like that. What they want to do is want to enjoy their work. But what happens is work shows up and goes, nope, we don't do that here. We make you feel dumb 24-7, get back to work, and we're going to micromanage the hell out of you in whatever capacity that is. That's the stuff that's starting to change, which I think is really fascinating. This underpinning of why we work, how we work, what do we want from work? How do we want to be treated? And of course, there are numerous unending articles on Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Fast Company, Harvard Business Review about this idea. And they all boil down to this, treat a people like a people and you're there. That's all people want is to be treated like an actual human being, not a cog, not a number, not a resource, not a big cog and a big machine. You have value. You're a human being. There's a great ad series. I think it was uh, early 2000s. Like, I can't wait to be a micromanager. These kids, they fake interview. Like, I can't wait to be a micromanager. I can't wait to increase my yield 0.03%. Nobody thinks that way. They want to make a tiny little dent in the universe. They want to feel like they matter a little bit. And all of work structure is designed to say, no, you don't, except in in the idea of you helped our stock price go up, which is unmaintainable. 
You can't live that way. You can't expect people to show up and do that stuff. So you're seeing this underpinning shift about what people want from work. You're seeing the pipeline get changing because suddenly the fact that you have a job is enough. We want to know how good that job is or how fulfilling that job is or what it's going to be like when I'm in that job. Then you start to see the people you want. And then you get away from, how do I get a thousand people or a hundred people to apply? There are plenty of people doing great hiring work. They're working a little harder at it, but it's still happening. It's mm-hmm. not that there's nobody there. It's just the crap you used last time don't work anymore. If you're using teletype and you're wondering why isn't anybody using teletype anymore, it's it's because nobody wants to use teletype. There's 10 better things to use instead. That's where we went. We didn't suddenly say we've canceled culture teletype or we've canceled culture this job. No, your boss was a jerk and a schmuck and an ass and has lawsuits out the wazoo. Stunningly, no one wants to work for that person anymore. Weird. I know it's strange. I know it's crazy. And I'm out on a wild limb when I say that stuff. No, not at all. Thank God somebody's actually going to say it out loud because you're absolutely right. If I'm going to go back and work for whatever low paying wage, and I don't see any connection to how this is rewarding work for me doesn't mean so even as a, a recruiter, it doesn't mean that I would ever do that job. Because yeah. to be working in a potato factory making potato chips is not something that I would see myself doing. But I understand people who would find that to be fun yes. work. Yes. Well, the fact is, if you've got an asshole supervisor, you can recruit all you want. Because it is very easy to go on any review site and figure out which location has a manager who says either you get back to work or there are 10 more lined up behind you. It's not hard to figure out at all. Isn't there an opportunity to do right now for a lot of employers to be able to get access to that market of talent that weren't looking for other jobs. They just had come to the point that this is my reality. And I think the pandemic shifted that mentality being like, no, there is better out there. So for a lot of organizations, this is an opportunity, right? Yeah. The trick though, is the way in which we express who we are as businesses, as, as cultures to the world is still deeply imperfect. And I don't know we'll ever nail it because you're trying to take an abstract concept and make definite statements about them. And that's impossible. You can't do that. It's like saying, define love. Go ahead. You have three minutes. Go ahead. Or people ask me, what's the ROI on employer brand? To which I would say, what's the ROI on a loving parent who believed in you? I don't know. Go ahead. Take your time. You can't, these are abstract (laughs) concepts. These are fuzzy bunny ideas, but they're meaningful. They're powerful. They're useful. So if you've got a culture that, is embracing and is open and engaging and gives people the opportunity to do the best quality work they want or is flexible and whatever. And you say that, but then I go to your ATS and you force me to say, and you don't tell me what the job salary is and you don't tell me what the hours are. You don't give me any information. And then you force me to jump through six hoops. And then you make me wait four weeks before you'll call me. Guess what? You're making some claims, but now you're undercutting those claims. And the Mm -hmm. trick is for every business that thinks they're making these positive claims, they do not see how the day-to-day operations of most companies, talent acquisition teams, processes, bring in a uh, comp and bed, bring in HR. Everybody's guilty a little bit of this. It's all fine, but they're all undercutting each other, right? They're all making these claims impossible to do. And so what most candidates 
are struggling with is there is a sea of amazing claims out there. How many are believable? And now they're trying to read tea leaves. That's really unfortunate. And you go to blind, you go to comparably, you go to Glassdoor, there's data points, but there's nothing definitive. And if you force people to do it the way they've always done it, they're going to they're just not going to believe these claims. Even if they're true, it's just that yeah. you've got this gauntlet you're forcing people to run through. And I, the way we hire is insane. Give me your two-page resume. Your, just define your entire life in two pages because I, the recruiter, and our industry have decided that's how many pages I'm willing to read. We all know as recruiters, we will never read the third page. You might as well hide. Admit that you killed people on the third page. Best of luck. No one's ever going to read that thing. You can say, I know where Hoffa's body's buried. Third page. No one's ever going to read it. But recruiters say, we're only going to read these two pages and you have to distill it this way. And this is the format. And this is the way you're going to do that stuff. And then when I read your resume, when I bring you in, all my questions are not going to be about, they're going to sound like, tell me about a time you did this. But really the question is, I don't believe a damn word of this resume. Prove it. Give me, tell me, show me. I don't believe any of this stuff. Did you really speak Spanish in high school? Did you really work on this project? Did you, did you, did you accuse, 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 which is fine because on the other side of the fence, you got the candidate going, I'm going to do everything I can to do a funny little dance to make sure you don't see my dirty secret that by the way, after five o'clock, I've just mentally checked out and you can't get me to do a damn thing after that or whatever dirty secret every human being is holding because they're all imperfect, flawed human beings. And they're doing the stance of one accusing the other of lying and the other one going, shoot, they figured out my lie. I better dance harder. But that's okay because they're looking at the job going, yeah, your employer brand says amazing things, but I don't see any smiling faces in this company. I don't see anybody happy. I don't see some, your reviews are pretty bad. So it's liars lying to other liars about this thing that no one understands and no one's defined very well because I've read your job postings, your job description and it's all bullshit. And so what is this thing? You come out of it going, I don't know what I've done. And even with a host of information and data points, every candidate's still going, I think this company's good, but it's still a roll of damn dice. I don't know. And how in the hell am I supposed to make a, a life choice of that? It's a dice throw. And I've made good dice throws and I've made some bad dice throws, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. We don't have to talk about anything. We don't have to bring in name and shame in anybody. But I've walked to some really horrible places. They all said the same thing. So can yeah. candidates ever figure it out? I love the assumption that this is a two-way relationship. That be. means, yeah, I've always treated recruitment as that, that I am the conduit. It is not up to me to judge you. And I also love that you point out so eloquently just how messed up the interview process is. Horrible. Right? So, So if you are asking people questions because you sincerely would like to know what is your logic and how do you think through problems versus I'm trying to trip you up. Oh, Thank you for pointing that out because it has been my pet peeve for my entire recruitment career that you enter into any sort of relationship where I'm going to figure out where's the lie. Yeah. Can you imagine if you met someone in your personal life who that was their first approach to you yeah. was trying to figure out where you're lying? Yeah, well, isn't cops. that dating, Shelly? 
That's called cops though. That's how cops approach everything. They assume you're a criminal up until the moment you decide you're not. And that's going really well for everybody, by the way, just pointing that out. Uh, yeah. And that is exactly. dating's the same way. It's liars lying about the stuff they didn't do and putting the prettiest pictures of themselves on the sites and doing the dance. But to me, that's the thing is that it comes back to if a business is able to be honest about what it wants. First off, if it's willing to do the hard emotional work and emotional is a fuzzy bunny word. And I know it turns people off and I'm a hardcore, cynical, black hearted bastard kind of guy, but I still think it's true. If companies are willing to do the hard emotional work of saying, what exactly do we want? What do we really believe? What do we really care about? <clears throat> and are able to communicate that in an honest way. And that usually means saying how they're not the world's greatest, best company ever invented, that they're not the greatest place to work in the world. Yeah. They're allowed to say every positive is a negative, right? For every company that right. says, for Google is well known for M&Ms and free food and nap rooms and stuff. But the downside is, yeah, they offer those things so you never go home, right? So you've got to know that the strength is a weakness and a weakness is a strength. So if you're not willing to admit the weakness side of those positives, yeah. you're lying. But if you can get to the point where you're able to say, look, we work really hard. These are long hours. This is what we're all about, but this is what we're in service of. And I see places like Goldman Sachs does a great job of that. They're very crystal clear about 100-hour work weeks. They yeah. have no problem saying, yeah, our junior analysts don't ever go home. They shower in the sink, we're pretty sure. Don't ask questions. But by the way, when you turn 33, you'll never see the inside of the coach cabin again in the airport. You'll always be flying first class for the rest of your life. That's what the deal is. That's what yeah. the offer yeah. is. You look at other companies like, I don't know, plenty of companies say, look, or SpaceX, that's a good one. Yeah. You're going to work really hard. You're solving these challenges, but we're going to Mars. That's a thing. And you don't, there's no going to Mars the easy way. If yeah. you're willing to admit the hard side of it, if you're willing to admit that this is the, it's, it's a job and this is why you get paid because it's not all sugar plums and puppy dogs and daisies, it's hard work. And this is the way in which it is hard. What happens is it forces the candidate to be honest too. If you say, hey, this is the job, this is the good side, this is mm -hmm. the downside, this is why that downside exists, these are the kinds of people who are going to love it, but these are the kinds of people who aren't going to be happy with it, the candidate functionally has to say, yeah, that, that sounds horrible, I don't want that job. Or, you know what, let me tell you why that sounds like exactly the job I want. And suddenly it's an honest fest. Suddenly everybody's opening up about this thing, and maybe they don't know exactly what that job is, and maybe it's still a little fuzzy and hard to define, but they're coming at it more honestly. Yeah. And being honest is a two-way street. If you give it, you get it. If you put it out there, it comes back to you. And that's the thing that employer brand and recruiting and talent acquisition is terrified of because that's hard work. That is not a tagline. That is not a video. That is not a social channel. That's not a project you pay for. That is a that is emotional, hard work. That is going to therapy in place of getting up your hair did, right? You can do either one, but one works really well and one just gets you through the day. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not drunk. I know everybody listening going, what time did they record this? Wow. Is there a two drink minimum in this place? No, this is all water. I'm telling you right now, I need to take a nap after this episode. I'm mentally exhausted of hearing all the great ideas that you do have. So James, I've heard a rumor that all your public speaking, you're kind of taking a year off. Yeah. Actually, I had said before that I was done speaking and then you invited me on. I said, I got to do this one. Yeah. You guys, I, you know, I got to get the jacket. I got to get the watch. It's <laughs> yeah. one more step in the, in, in the path forward. Yeah. I am absolutely trying to downplay speaking gigs. The day jobs taking a lot of my time, but the podcast, the newsletter, all that stuff. It's where I think I do the most good. When I speak, it's fun and it's great, but it forces me to think a little differently when I have to write it down. I, 
I agree. So everyone go check out the Talent Cast podcast. Like I said, it's one of the first podcasts I listened to. Subscribe to the newsletter. What's the easiest way to subscribe to a newsletter, James? If you go to employerbrand.news, it's right there. And that's also, that's not the same site that you can actually go download. Yeah, that's the hub. Like I think I linked everything from there. So if you go to employerbrand.news, that's where you'll find all the me you could ever possibly want. And then a little bit more, because why just do a little, you can do a lot. I think we are counting ourselves as exceptionally blessed and lucky to have you on the show. I know you're a busy guy. Plus the the part you left out there is you're also a dad and a husband. Yep. Yep. And that's kind of important. Oh yeah, that's huge, man. So from thank home. you. They're, they're so sick of hearing my voice when I, I'm on phone calls or I'm on, you oh, know, they, sure. like, they are so sick. Like my wife says, I could do half of your bits right now. I said, I bet you could. You've heard them enough. You could totally do my bits. Aww. She could do the James Ellis cover band. That, that's what it was. <laughs> We're going to book you now for 2023 when you get out of your hibernation period. But James, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show again. It thank really you for joining has. us. It's always a blast, you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.